0: Good to be here with you this morning. Uh, I, as I reflected on this passage and I tried to figure out um, where, where my preaching would come from, how I would be preaching this, I realized that, that I'm someone of somewhat of a simple faith uh, in, in the means that I don't necessarily need to have rich, deep, theological, wrestling questions with the passage in order to believe it or in order to follow it. Um, I do. I do like having them. That's that's great. I I enjoy that. I, I mean, I went to Bible school for six years, so if I didn't like theology, I would have wasted my time there. Um, so I do enjoy it, but I don't necessarily feel like I need it. Um, it and, and I think what that means is, typically when I when I read something in Scripture, it kind of just makes sense, and I and I just say, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do, and I and I just go for it. And I'm not saying that I do it well all the time. I'm not saying that I'm just the perfect person, but I have a bit of more of a simple faith in the sense that if I read something, I, I, I kind of just follow it. And so, as I'm reading Ephesians 6, um, the first nine verses, I'm looking at it thinking, this is very straightforward. And I thought, how on earth am I going to preach this? So maybe I should just read it and say, do this, and then walk off stage. Because that's kind of how I felt when I was reading this uh, in the last couple of weeks. And so, thankfully... Um, God gave me some words to say, and there is many, many smart people who have written commentaries that helped me kind of figure out where I was going with this. And so I feel like there is an actual sermon here that we can hold on to and that we can listen to regardless if we have children or we are children or we don't like our parents or whatever the case may be. I feel like there's actually something here for us. So I want to read Ephesians 6, the first nine verses here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ, not by way of eye service as men-pleasers, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. With good will, render service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good thing each one does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether slave or free. And masters do the same things to them, give up threatening, knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality with him. So obviously as we read this, there are two different sections, right? There's a a part about the relationship between children and parents, and there's a part about the relationship between slaves and masters. And what's interesting uh, is that in both of those situations, um, at one point Paul flips it. So he says, children... Do all these things for your parents, here's why. And actually says, parents, do this for your children. He says, slaves, do all these things for your masters, and here's why. And masters, do these things for your slaves. It's very similar to what Dale preached on last week, uh, which came right before this about wives submitting to husbands, but then he also mentioned the, the part about husbands loving their wives like Jesus loved the church was actually much longer. Right? It's, it's, it's saying that there's a the relationship that goes both ways. So as we look at this, which would have come directly after that passage without a chapter break, without a big number six right in front of it in the original text, we know that this is very closely tied to that last passage. So let's start with the children and parents, uh, because it comes first. Um, I will submit that I am in no place to give parenting advice. Okay, I, I've been a parent for six months, and I know nothing. <laughs> Um, The most I can do is tell my child to stay, and he will stay, because he can't crawl yet. Um, So I feel like I'm winning in that regard, but I can't really give you advice on how to parent. If you have kids, unless you're Joel and Allie Dick, I feel like you've been a parent longer than I have. Um, Their son's just a couple months old, but I know that pretty much everyone here has more experience, and is probably a lot more wise than I am if you have kids. So I'm not going to try that. I'm not going to try and give you parenting advice. And actually, I think this also affects us, even if we don't have children, because we are actually all children, right? Came from somewhere, regardless of the relationship you have with your parents. It might be really good. You might come from a really good family. You might come from a broken family. You might come from a a blended family. You might come from a family with differing sets of parents than what is is seen as normal. Um, We all have different histories and different backgrounds as far as what kind of parents we have. But we are all children. Well, there actually is things for us here. Um, and actually, Paul gives four reasons as to why children obeying your parents would actually be the thing to do. The first one is that he just says, it is right. He could have stopped there. He could have said, children obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. That To me, that would have been enough, and I would have gone with that. But he goes into farther detail. The, the great thing about this being right is that this is, this is how the family structure is set up. Right, Children, for the most part, are inexperienced, uh, impulsive, maybe immature. And they are under the authority of parents who are hopefully mature, experienced, and maybe more calculated. So it just makes sense in the most basic of ways that a child would obey its parent. Paul said, this is the right way to do it. This is how the family structure is set up. This is how it works. It's the most logical way to look at parenting. The younger listens to the older. The next thing Paul says is basically it's biblical. It's biblical. Right, so he quotes the Ten Commandments by saying, "Honor your father and mother," and he also points out that this is the first, um, this is the first blessing, or sorry, uh, the first commandment with a blessing attached to it. And he does this because the Ephesian church would have been not only Jews but Gentiles who would have had pretty much no understanding of the Old Testament. So this is one of the first commandments that you hear in the Ten Commandments that actually gives you a blessing. He's saying, "If you do this, good things will happen." So in the original he says honor your father and mother in Exodus 20 that your days may be prolonged and you may live in the land of the Lord. All the other commandments leading up to that just said do this because I said so. And this one gives you a little bit of a, a, a window into what can happen if you do which leads us actually into the third point that Paul gives that there's actually a benefit for the children here. It's actually in the best interest of the child to obey their parents. Because I think that In obeying your parents, we learn things about discipline and instruction and direction. Right? So when you obey your parents, as a child, I tried to think of these awesome stories that I could tell of all these times that I disobeyed my mom. Uh, And so I was racking my brain for some of them. And I even texted her this morning as a last-ditch effort. I was like, hey, mom, what's a story where I disobeyed you and it blew up in my face? I need a sermon illustration. And she goes, I don't think there were any. Said, you're right, I was an angel. So I don't have any good stories for you to tell you about ways that I screwed up, at least when it comes to my mother. Um, but in this sense, discipline is actually good. So, had I had, imagine I gave you a great sermon illustration about how I disobeyed my mom, and it blew up in my face, and then she disciplined me, and she gave me direction. Now I would lead you to Hebrews 12, which talks about discipline, and it says this It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So this, in this passage, Paul—sorry, uh, the writer of Hebrews—is talking about the discipline that we get from the Father, so from God to us. But he likens it to the discipline that we can get from parents, and this is a perfect scenario where a father would discipline his children well. Right? I, I fully admit that's not everyone's case, but he's saying this is a good thing. And even from parents, it's a good thing because it's leading you in the right direction because it's actually in your best interest. And even more so when the Father disciplines us or we encounter hardships, they're actually even more for our good. So obeying your parents leads you to good things. It actually leads you to understanding discipline and instruction and direction more. Especially if your parents are using this distinction of in the Lord that he uses in the first verse. So we may have different experiences of family. We may have different experiences of discipline, or even obeying. But Scripture tells us that discipline is good for us, which would come from obeying our parents. We'd be disobeying our parents. We would understand that a bit more. The fourth point that Paul makes is that it it promotes a full life, actually. So he says you, that uh, what he says uh, follow, uh, diso- or, sorry, children obey your parents. He says so that you may live long on the earth. And I tried to think of why why that would be the case. I'm thinking, sure, like, maybe your parents tell you before you leave the house, make sure you put a helmet on before you go biking. That could promote a long, full life. Maybe they say, wear your seatbelt when you drive, or don't go, like, make sure you stay under the speed limit. Those things are there. Um, But I actually was reminded of a uh, passage from Deuteronomy that might actually give a bit more uh, clarity here to what we're talking about. So Deuteronomy 21 says this, If any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother... And when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them. Then his father and mother shall seize him, bring him out to the elders of his city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of the city, This son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death, so you shall remove the evil from your midst, and Israel will hear of it and fear. That is why you obey your parents. Done. I can walk out of here. Okay, so not exactly. This is an Old Testament... Uh, idea of what could happen at this point. Um, Although I was talking with a couple of friends last night who said if this happened, certainly the other kids on the block would hear about it. Right? They'd say, wow, okay. Never going to Bob's house. (laughs) So yes, it's not exactly why you may want to not disobey your parents other than the fact that, like we mentioned earlier, your parents are hopefully actually quite wise and experienced and may have actually messed up previously and learned from their mistakes and can guide you in the right direction. Um, and the nice thing is that verse 4 of our passage, which is, comes right after all of this, talks to the fathers, talks to the parents. And says, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So even again, Paul mentions more of his discipline and instruction, but says actually what you don't want to do is provoke your children. You don't want to make them angry. It's this idea of fathers, you should do whatever you can while still being a good father, while still being a good parent, actually lead your children in a way that it's actually easy for them to obey. And hopefully, if we're following this as parents, it should be easy for our kids to obey. That being said, I've never parented a teenager before, Um, so I know that can be a little bit difficult, but I do deal with that. I do hang out with them every Tuesday night at youth. So I understand. I have grace for many parents who have teenagers. So again, this is maybe an ideal situation where Parents, if you love your kids well, if you don't provoke them to anger, your your children will obey you. For all of us as children in the room, if you had parents who who did this really well for you, you may have still disobeyed because you were children. So we experience these in very different ways. So my question is, what happens when children don't obey? So if you're a child and you don't obey, or if you have children and they don't, don't obey, what happens? Well, obedience is a choice. Right, Dale, Dale mentioned last week that there is no way that a husband can force his wife to submit to his will. That doesn't happen. That's not how it works. You cannot force your children to obey. Because even when you say, this is the way or else, they're still making a choice to obey, whether out of fear or not. They still make that choice. So when they choose not to, I I can imagine it's not fun. And they choose not to obey you. It's not, not ideal. But as I'm searching through the scriptures and trying to think of all these examples of children's, uh, children and parents and obeying and disobeying, the one I kept coming back to is actually the prodigal son. So you've probably heard the story of the prodigal son hundreds of times, But just in case you haven't or in case you forget. The idea is that this father has two sons. One of the sons says, Okay, hey, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I want all the money that you're going to give to me when you pass, and I am out of here. I'm not following the family business. I'm leaving. Not what his father wanted, probably not what his father had been teaching him. His child disobeys. So his father gives him the money, and this kid runs. He goes to their land, he blows all his money on uh, feasts and prostitutes and other things that we don't really read about. And then the land goes into a famine. This guy's got no money, there's no jobs out there, there's no way this guy can get food, so he works in a, on a pig farm. He's feeding the pigs and living with the pigs, which were the lowest animal in the Jewish tradition. So this guy has really hit rock bottom. He looks at these pigs, and he envies them for having food. And he says, okay, my father's slaves and servants live better than this. I need to go back there, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good enough to be a son anymore, but I'm going to go back, and I'm going to live with my father and be a part of his household. So he packs up, and he packs up nothing, and he goes back to his father. And while he was still a long way off, which is what the scriptures say, and this is where I imagine like, like, a, like a prairie farm, right? Like a Saskatchewan farm where you're like, The father's out there, like, I don't know, tilling the garden or something, and he sees this little blip on the horizon. And he goes, That's my son. So while the son's making his way back, the father bolts out there and and goes to his son. And the son starts this big long speech that that he has rehearsed. You know, he says, Father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against God. I'm not worthy to be called your son anymore. The father stops him. He doesn't get through his speech, and he goes, Hey, you're back. And he tells his servants, Hey, Kill the fat and calf, we're having a party. My son was basically dead, he's alive again, he's here, he's a part of this family. He doesn't once say, I told you so. He doesn't once say, Where's my money? He welcomes him back with full grace. And I understand there will be parents here with prodigal children who where this story really hits home, and maybe you want to be in the place where your kid comes back to you and you can run down the prairie farm to go reach them again. But what's important here is that. Even as children of God, we are offered grace. And if we are children of parents who we have estranged ourselves from or who have estranged themselves from us, we are offered grace. If you have children, you need to offer grace. And again, I don't know what that's like. I only have a six-month-old. He just cries and that's all. <laughs> but that's, the, that's, that's what happens when children don't obey, actually. And there's lots of lots of intricate details about what they did and how they disobeyed and all that stuff that we're not going to get into. But know that grace and love is the baseline for all of this. Because if fathers are not supposed to provoke their children to anger, the opposite of that is what they're supposed to do is love them. Full of grace. This is where I'd love to end this sermon, but there actually is more to the text about slaves and masters. And I understand that we live in a time where you can say, I don't own any slaves. I can ignore this, hopefully. (laughs) I can understand why you would say, I'm not a slave. I can ignore this part. But I think there's actually still, again, here, things for us because Scripture is God-breathed and useful for so many things, for us today. So we live in a time where slavery isn't necessarily rampant, but it still exists. But when we look at this, we don't think of, let's not think of slavery in our context. When it says Slaves, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. It makes the distinction here between your masters of your spiritual life, which would be Jesus, who's your slave, your slaves to Christ, and those who are the, the masters of your physical and maybe even your mental work. Right? Your mental effort, your physical effort. So we can look at this and say, this is our employers, maybe. This is anyone who really has authority over me in any situation. Maybe it's your professor at university. But these are people who have authority over you. But they're not in charge of your conscience or your spiritual life necessarily, but they are in charge of certain parts of your life. Maybe it's your schooling. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's the, I don't know, the the people who own your retirement home. It could be any of these things, people who have authority over you. And what what Paul tells us is that our, our obedience to them cannot be fake. And there actually needs to be love and respect towards these people. He says, don't, don't obey them by way of eye service, which is a, a term that only Paul uses here, and as men-pleasers. So don't do this just so that you look good. Don't obey them just so that everyone thinks, wow, this person is a wonderful person, but actually obey them as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. That's the direction we get for employers or professors or people in authority over us. And actually I would say that you do this whether they're good or bad at what they do. Whether they treat you well or don't treat you well, this is actually what we're called to. In First Peter two, there's the passage that is very similar that goes into a bit more detail, and says this servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly? For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. The beginning of this tells us that God's desire is that we treat these people with respect, in all respect. That's the start. We don't get to choose whether we do that based on whether they're good or not. We do that... Off the hop. And then actually, or Peter, and then St. Peter says, actually not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. So whether they treat you well or not, this is actually how we're supposed to act. This is, again, sincere respect for these people, always. Not as eye service or as men pleasers. And this might be hard for people who like to rag on their bosses. Right? I give Kevin a hard time at the beginning of the service. But he hopefully knows and understands that I actually respect him greatly. And it's actually my role as as his subordinate to actually respect him as much as I can. Whether or not he treats me well, it's actually my role to treat him well and to respect him. And just just like Dale said last week, we get this caveat at the end where we hear masters do the same things to them. So employers or or professors or whatever you want to think about this person in your life, it actually says do the same things to them. Do the same things to these people underneath you. Give up threatening. Don't do that anymore. Knowing that both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. God doesn't look at these people and say, oh, well, it's okay that you treated this person like dirt because they were your employee. (laughs) That's fine. There's no partiality there. He says, actually, you need to respect them just as much as they respect you, maybe more. So when Dale's talking about the idea that husbands should love their wives so well that it's incredibly easy for the wives to submit to their husbands, this is where we understand more about that here. Employers should be loving their employees and treating them so well that it's really easy for the employee to respect them. And even if it's not, and you're an employer, you're the subordinate, you're the slave in this context. It's actually still what we're called to do. It's actually still what we're called to do. So I think that many of us would maybe maybe struggle to find out where we fit in these scenarios. You may not own a business. You may not be a university professor. You may not be a parent. So you want you look at this second half and you say, okay between slaves and masters, where do I fit? What I would say to you is that actually, you are a person of authority and influence in this church. That unless you are literally the youngest person here, there is someone younger than you in this room. And you actually have influence over them. And in some ways, authority over them. So actually, this does apply to many parts of all of our lives. Uh, I think it's well known that I, that I am pretty much every time I get up here, I somehow twist the sermon to make it sound like there are young people in this church who need mentors, who need older people in their lives. And I'll fully admit that sometimes I come in here with my own agenda to do that, but I actually think this fits here. I think this fits where there are people in this church who need masters in this sense. They need people to look up to and to, to learn how to respect them. I think there are people who need older people in their lives to know what love means from an older Christian. When I I go to youth on a Tuesday night or when when junior high happens on 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 a Friday night, there are kids who walk into this building who don't know an older Christian than myself and Chandra. That's just the truth. And there are many people in this church who desire to have these relationships. So if you are someone who is older than someone else in this building... You have, are someone with authority and influence. And these things matter to us. And now, I, I struggled, I, I kind of fought whether I, whether I include this as well, but I will, because I still have seven minutes, five minutes. Um, and, and maybe take this with, as, as Paul oft sometimes says in his letters, where he says, this is, this is me speaking, this isn't God. Take, understand that this is kind of where I'm coming from, too. When I look at this passage, I also think that these masters are people like our political leaders that maybe we don't always agree with as well. I would say that in many ways they are are in authority over us, they are of influence over us, and that we actually need to respect them as well. These are people we don't agree with, maybe we do agree with, maybe we voted them in and that's great and it's easy to do. But in Saskatchewan, I know that maybe a lot of people aren't exactly happy with the way the government's working right now, and it's okay because we're actually supposed to love and respect them. And this first Peter passage that I used, a few verses right before that say this Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I think it's our role to do this. With with anyone, with whoever is in authority over us, this this line, I think, is our role. Worship team, you guys can come up here. And and I want to say that no matter who you are in this passage, whether you find yourself Jiving um, with with a child in this, whether you find yourself as seeming more like a parent in this, or a slave or a master, know that it's actually not our role to use our role. Our, our, our when it says, "Don't act as, uh, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God." Our role is this last line in First Peter 2. two, First Peter two seventeen. Our role is to honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king.